Good morning. morning. Welcome, one and all. Glad to see you here this morning. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are glad that you are with us. If you are visiting with us today, there is a Connect card right in front of you. We'd invite you to fill that out uh, to let us know of your attendance here today. And uh, you can put that in the offering box, which is by the Welcome Center, which has been relocated to that side. If you didn't notice when you came in, because we've got our photo booth going on out there. So that's uh, one of the first announcements to reiterate, is we're working through our new uh, church directory, getting pictures and things of that nature. Saw a really healthy line just before the service that was uh, right there. So I think most of you probably got your picture today. Uh, But if you haven't yet, would invite you to come and do that. Uh, It'll be available 30 minutes before the service, so 10.30 to 11. And then uh, right after the service is concluded, you can go out there and get your uh, picture taken as well. And uh, we'll be doing that over the course of the next two Sundays, the 21st and the 28th. So if you're looking at yourself thinking, we don't match, all right? I heard that a lot last week, all right? That was y'all's excuse, we don't match, right? Uh, Husbands, you basically blamed your wife for why you couldn't get a picture taken. Uh, but now uh, we've got that in front of us. We know what's going on. And so hopefully between uh, uh, to, uh, next Sunday and the following, uh, you can match and uh, be ready for those pictures. That would be awesome. Uh, one other thing to bring to your attention uh, here this morning, other than the pictorial directory, is uh, the church picnic. You may have seen the slide up on the, the slideshow there. Uh, we are going to be doing that uh, not next Sunday, but the following Sunday. So August the 28th. Uh, We'll be doing a church picnic. Everything will be normal. We'll have our Sunday school hour. We'll do uh, our service right here, and then we'll have a church picnic uh, out over that way uh, following the service. So I'd invite you to bring uh, a lawn chair with you uh, to the service. Uh, Not enough room in here to set that up and actually do church in your lawn chair, so I wouldn't advise that part. But if you have it ready uh, or even take it outside before uh, the service begins so it's ready for you, Uh, We'll have uh, the food catered out there, so you won't have to bring anything except yourself and uh, a lawn chair. And that would be a great time for us to fellowship together, eat some food, uh, and there'll be some uh, outdoor yard activities uh, to participate participate in, uh, should you choose. Would you stand with me, please? I invite you as we have our call to worship this morning. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 148. Psalm 148, and it reads this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. All right, we are going to be in Psalm chapter 32 this morning. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to 
Join me in Psalm chapter 32 this morning. I have the unique privilege of bookending our study in the Psalms this summer, managing emotions. And uh, over the last, let's see, five weeks, uh, this will be the sixth, uh, we've covered a number of different emotions that uh, are presented to us here in our text. We started with managing fear. We saw in Psalm 46, verse 11, that God is with you. He is your safe place. Psalm 46, 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So in the midst of our fears, God is the place that we go to find refuge. He is the place that we go for safety. So as uh, the challenge for us is that as we are experiencing the various fears that we have faced and will in our future face, we have a safe place to go. Amen? Pastor Mark followed with managing depression. Psalm 42.11 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. When struggling with uh, depression, we need to find our hope in God, but more than just in God, in the salvation, right? He, he's provided us with salvation, Salvation from our sins, eternity forever in heaven. Find your hope in God, not in self, not in external things. When you find yourself staring down the face of depression. How to manage discontentment. Psalm 73 verses 25 and 28 say this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. But for me it is good for it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Are you discontent today? Are you discontent ever? There's nothing on earth that we should desire more than God himself. A relationship with God. You, you struggle with that content. If you are truly finding your contentment in God, you will never struggle with discontentment. When you do, it's not because God has done something wrong. It's because I have taken a left turn somewhere to find my contentment elsewhere. Desire God above all things. The next week, managing insignificance. Maybe you felt insignificant at some point in your life. We were challenged from Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 and 9 say this. What is a man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So we see what is man that you, God the creator, are mindful of him. Tim was up here praying and, and talking about all of the magnificent things that God has created, the trees, the, all of it. Go look at some mountains. Go to Tennessee. You can see better topography than here, right? God created all of it. You think you're insignificant, look at that, and then look at this verse that God created us in his own image and that he is mindful of us so much more than all the rest. You are significant to God. Managing grief, Psalm chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. 
It says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Trust in his steadfast love. Rejoice in your salvation. There are many things that can cause us to grief, to grieve. But let us not take our focus, our eyes off of God and what he has done for us. In your grief, remember who has eternal, everlasting, steadfast love that is God. And rejoice in what he has done for you. Which moves us on to uh, our lesson or our message for today. Psalm chapter 32, managing guilt. You ever felt guilt before? You ever been in church and felt like the pastor was stomping on your toes? It's not the pastor, it's the Holy Spirit working on your heart. Amen? All right? Guilt is real. How do we manage that? Because I think that all of us have, have struggled with guilt at various levels and times in our life that we can, we, can, we can give testimony that our guilt can be so, so overwhelming and so heavy if we can use a back to the future doc phrase or, yeah, or Marty McFly, this is heavy. This is heavy. It can be if we don't deal with it, if we don't manage it appropriately. So let's take a dive into Psalm chapter 32 this morning. It's broken up into a number of sections here, and so we're going to start right at the beginning. This uh, first section, verses 1 through 4, we see this is David speaking, and we see his testimony right here. I took a number of students uh, a, a week or so ago up north, and we had a focus on evangelism. And, and one of the things that we talked about was our testimonies. What is your testimony? Uh, a, a testimony that God has given to you. How has God taken you from A to B? All right, Not just your salvation testimony necessarily, but, but how has God been working in your life? And can you share that as a testimonial with other people? But specifically here, this is talking about forgiveness of sins. This has been uh, dubbed a hymn of thanksgiving. You know that the, the psalms are, are songs to be sung. And so this has been seen as a hymn of thanksgiving, but it's also a penitential uh, psalm. A penitential or, or penitent, all right, humble psalm. And as we get into this text, I think you will notice the humility that is taking place. So first, let's take a look here at David's testimony. The first few verses, a life of confession. This is what a life of confession looks like. It says in verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That's what it looks like to live a, a, a life of confession. You are confessing your sins. You are keeping short accounts with God. And as a result, you are blessed. You are truly happy or joyful because your sins have been forgiven. Your sins are covered. This was a fun one because I asked the, the students as they read through this uh, to ask questions. And they're like, what is this like covered word? Like, what, what does it mean our sins are covered? Aren't they like forgiven? Hasn't Jesus come and, you know, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world and they're, they're gone forever? Like, covered is just a, like, what's the deal? Great question, because in the time, this is uh, uh, the book of Psalm, and so where are they living? They're living under the law still, aren't they? 
Right, And this is a time when uh, in that system you would once a year go and give a sacrifice to cover your sin. It wasn't a once for all thing. And so in that time it's, it's important that you get your sins covered, get them forgiven up to that point. So that way you can continue to move on and live a life that is blessed before God. We know now being uh, under grace that we do have Jesus who has died on the cross and covered, uh, more than just covered our sins, but he's wiped them away. Amen? Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Do you want the Lord to have something against you? Would you like to live your life knowing that the Lord has something against you? Absolutely not. Forgiven child of God, recognize that you are living a blessed life. The Lord is counting no iniquity against you, in whose spirit there is no deceit. This is an interesting phrase right here. It means uh, fooling oneself regarding your sin. And many of us probably do this, don't we? Right? We go on sinning and uh, maybe we try to cover it up. Maybe we try to, to uh, put levels to our sin and, and think that, you know what, this sin isn't really as bad as that one. So, uh, you know, I did this. I've repented of that. But, you know, this one, it's not quite as drastic. So I can live with this as uh, we call it the little white sins, little white lies, those kinds of things. I'm here to tell you from God's word it says that sin is Sin, you are guilty of breaking one, you're guilty of breaking all. Don't fool yourself. Don't deceive yourself about your sin. If, if you have not confessed your sin to, to God and accepted him as your savior, don't deceive yourself to think that you are some uh, special uh, person that you are gonna go to heaven just solely on the love of God. I'm, I'm here to tell you from God's word, that's not what it says. Yes, God is love. But God is also just, and as we'll learn in a few moments, he has provided a way for your sins to be forgiven. So don't deceive yourself about your sin. Believer, Christian here today, don't deceive yourself thinking that you are better than the person next to you. Yeah, I have my sin, but I'm not Brad Brown. Right? Don't do that. Don't get caught in this comparison thing. It's detrimental to the Christian walk. It deceives you about your true state. So I ask you a question. How honest are you about your sin? Unbeliever and believer, how honest are you? Really? Do you deceive yourself? Do you tell yourself that you're okay because you're not as bad as? Or, or worse yet, do you say, I'll just take care of that later? Living a life of confession, keeping short accounts before God, is the way to have a truly happy, joyful, blessed life. That's where David starts. He gives us the good news first. Isn't that nice? And then we move on to what it looks like to live a life void of confession. Look with me, verse 3 and 4. David says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand, God, was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. 
It's the idea of you've got that sin in your life, that unconfessed sin in your life. It's just eating away at you. This idea of wasted away or or being uh, in a state of agony because of this. God's hand is heavy upon you, okay? This isn't the preacher stomping on your toes. This is God himself putting his hand, his loving hand upon you to let you know, hey, I'm right here. Talk to me. Tell me what's going on. I already know, but I want to hear you tell me. Think, parents, as you raise your children. You want them to come and confess their wrongs to you. You want to restore the relationship with your kids, right? Many times your hands are on them in a loving way because you want them to know that you love them and that you are here for them. Just confess. Tell me what is going on in your heart, in your life right now so that we can work together with the help of the Holy Spirit and and fix this and get on the right track. So when God's heavy hand is upon your shoulder and it's just weighing you down, don't go like this. Don't tell God no. He loves you. What happens when we tell God no? My strength is dried up. We haven't really had too many crazy, hot, blistering, humidity-filled days that I've noticed this summer. Lord, I'm not asking for them. All right? But you've experienced them, right? You, you plan your, your work accordingly, and so you, you've got some time off this week, and you're going to do that yard work, and then it's 90-plus degrees with you know 85-plus percent humidity, and it's just nasty, right? And you think that you're going to be able to work for you know hours, And before you know it, you're out there for two, and then you're inside and you're done for the day. Why? Because that heat of summer dries up all your strength, weakens you. Folks, this is what it's like for the life of the unconfessed person. When when you're not confessing your sins before God, that is just weighing you down. And when you try to do it on your own, folks, your strength is going to be gone. And then you will have no other recourse but to just lay there and die or run to the Father and beg for his forgiveness. And then you see this word Selah after that section. What's this word Selah? Again, this is a question the students ask. Why is that there? You see it three times in this text. The word Selah is there for us to pause, to reflect, to contemplate what was just said. And if you just take that first bite of those first four verses, there's a lot right there for us to consider. There's a lot right there for us to evaluate our own hearts and our own lives. Am I truly living a life of confession? Am I blessed? Am I having the the truly eternal, happy, joyful life that I can have in God right now? Or is there unconfessed sin in my life and I just feel worn down and I need to do something about it? So we take that pause. We think about that. We reflect on it. And if there's business that needs to be done, we deal with it because God is here to hear. What's David's response, verse 5, to this? David's response is this, I acknowledge my sin to you. 
and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you, God, forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is his response. This ought to be ours. As I was teaching and going through different techniques of, of salvation uh, and, and uh, evangelism with our students, one of the things we talked about was the ABCs, right? Everybody knows their ABCs, right? I could bring Kenzie in here and she could give them to you, right? But if I asked her these specific ABCs, she could actually do reasonably well, honestly, all right? But let me go through them with you. A, B, and C. Talking about confessing your sins, being saved. The first thing we need to do is acknowledge that we're sinners. David recognized here uh, his state, where he was at, either as a believer with sin in his heart that needed to be dealt with, or as an unbeliever recognizing you are living a life of sin. First and foremost, acknowledge that fact. I am a sinner. He goes on and says, and I did not cover my iniquity. This is where I'd put the B for believe. He, he recognizes and believes that, that anything he's going to do or try is not going to work. Only believing in what God has done for him will this work. So he doesn't try to cover his iniquity up. And C says, I will confess my transgressions. And what does God do as a result? He forgave the iniquity of my sin. 1 John 1, 9, familiar passage to some of us, many of us. That if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just like try to erase it and you can kind of still see it. It's still there, okay? Not just kind of highlight it or, or try to, to cover it up with a Sharpie, okay? It is washed clean. It is gone. Uh, it, this justified just as if I never sinned. And here we go again. Selah. Pause. Think. Contemplate. Reflect. Do you talk to God about your sin? Do you talk to him about it? Do you confess? Yes. But, but do you talk to him at all about it? Do you ask him for help in the midst of your sin? After you've sinned? Before you've sinned? Are we going to God and, and seeking his help, his power, his strength? After you sinned, what do you do? Do you seek his help or do you try to cover it up? Again, my, my mind goes back to my daughter. And, and those of you that are parents and, and have kids that were, well, when they were little, Kenzie knows that after she's put to bed and she's there, she needs to stay in bed. Right? Julie and I are, are out in the living room talking about some things, and, and what do we hear? We hear that little creak of the bed. We, we hear those little feet hit the floor. And then with the, the, the hardwood flooring kind of thing out in the hallway, you hear that little creak. And then Kenzie hears my chair go down. And then what do I hear? Running back to the bed, right? Because when the, she hears that chair go down... Boom, she knows she's been caught. So what does she try to do? She tries to cover it up. She tries to cover herself up, really, right? We do that. 
We, we, we do the sin that we do. Or as I t- told the students, this is a pretty picture. It's like a dog that goes back to its own vomit, right? This is a, a biblical passage. We go back to our sin, and then we try to cover it up, right? And just kick some dirt on it, whatever it takes. We're going to try to cover it up. Did you know you can't justify yourself? You can't make it just as if you never. Only God can do that. Is that where you're at spiritually today? Or are you living a life where you're trying to cover your sin yourself? David moves on to application. Verses 6 through 7, he's addressing this to God. And he says this beginning in verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. So what do we see here? Firstly, don't wait. Everyone who is godly, offer prayer to God at a time when God can be found. Now, don't, don't com- get confused here that like God's playing hide and seek or, or that God has his, his uh, prayer hotline and, and all the lines are busy and you can't get a hold of God. All right? The reason for this verbiage is simply to tell us not to wait. Go now. Right? Don't wait for him. Don't don't wait for your own perfect timing, okay? Don't wait until the end of the day where you just kind of keep tally on on all of your sins so you can go to God at the end of the day and say, okay, God, and open up your ledger and then go through all your sins and, and pray that prayer of confession at the end of the day. Or as many of us are probably familiar with, just doing this general, uh, God, please forgive me for all my sins for today. Amen. I, I would ask, and I know for myself, uh, Am I really repentant if if I'm just giving this general like, yeah, just forgive all my sins, please? I know the the answer is no for me. Be specific in your prayers of confession. And more than that, why not in the moment of your realization of your sin? Deal with it right then. Right? Right? Oh, I just recognized that that I had that thought. Or that guy pulled out and I said a few things in my car, directed at them, and then I, uh, that was wrong. Pray right then and there. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. God can hear your prayer whether your eyes are open or closed, all right? But keep them open. Keep driving. But beg God's forgiveness right then and there. Keep the short accounts. Stay as light as a feather. Secondly, run to God. Just before that, we see surely is the rush of great waters. They shall not reach him. This, uh, you guys know what a tsunami is, okay? Imagine that you're on vacation. You're sitting on the beach and you see the tsunami coming, all right? You ain't going to run fast enough, all right? That is going to crash down on you, and with all the weight of that water, you will be killed. All right. So this is that picture of all of our sin, all of our guilt, just coming at us like a tidal wave. If we go to God, and we don't wait, we don't let everything just keep piling up and piling up, that tsunami is going to be a little ripple. 
Run to God. That, that wave will not touch you. It will not hurt you because it, it doesn't exist. I've not allowed all of my sins to stack up. Run to God. Why? Because as we saw it, it, uh, in the front end of this whole study, in Psalm 46, when we talked about fear, running to God, he is our hiding place. Psalm 46 talked about refuge or our safe place. David is saying to God that you are my safe place. Also says that you preserve me from trouble. He's going to preserve you. He's not going to, God is not going to allow you to be destroyed. Until God is done with you on this earth, you are immortal. Indestructible. David saw some pretty hard times in his life. We could probably uh, shout out a couple uh, of David's dirty laundry, his sin, right? We know that, that he coveted another man's wife. We know that he committed adultery. We know that he conspired to murder. We know a lot of dirt on him. But you know what? In the midst of all that, he went back to God and he sought forgiveness and God preserved him through all of it. What does that tell me? It tells me that for myself and for you, no matter what sinful garbage you're dabbling in right now, God wants to preserve you. He wants you to come back to him. He will not allow you to be destroyed, Christian. He says, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. God will deliver us from the evil one. He has promised this already. Godly expectations here. The godly are not expected to be sinless. Rather, they are those who believe God's promises and confess their sins. Let this be our heart, church. Let us desire to be godly and understand that God doesn't expect us to be sinless. If he expected that, then... We would all be doomed. He would not have sent Jesus to the cross to pay for our sins, to reconcile us to himself. He would not have 1 John 1, 9 telling believers to confess your sins and he's faithful and just to forgive you. And we see that little Selah again. Contemplate about that application for a moment. What difficulties in life are you facing right now? Are you trying to hide from any of it? Are you trying to hide any of it from God? What's keeping you from running to God right now? What's keeping you from running to God who is your hiding place, who is your preserver, who is your deliverer? Most of the time, you can just hold up that little mirror and look right in your own face, can't we? Because most of the time, I'm standing between me and what God wants for me. David closes here with instruction. He's now addressing uh, the fellow worshipers that are before him. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. 
So looking just at verse 8, you, you hear David. And just imagine being the, the people that know David, know, know his dirty laundry, all the stuff that's going on. He says, I'm going to instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'm going to counsel you, but I'll keep my eye on you. I'd be like, who do you think you are? You did this and this and this, and you're going to counsel me? You're going to teach me? Absolutely. Yes, these are David's sins. But you could also say they're, they're, they're his credentials that, that prove and show after God's forgiveness of them that he knows a thing or two about sin and he knows a thing or two about forgiveness. And so he wants to impart that upon these people. I am standing here before you, a filthy, nasty, rotten sinner that is only able to be here because God has washed me white as snow. All right, I have sinned. I have done terrible things. I've thought terrible things, all right? And if you knew all my dirty laundry, you'd probably think, okay, you can just sit down, dude. Okay, You're never going to have anybody standing behind this pulpit that is Jesus or God himself, all right? You're only going to get somebody that has been washed by the blood of the Lamb that is trying through their own mistakes, through their own sin, and through what God has done in their life, proclaiming how we should live. That's David's credentials here. And he tells the people, don't be like a horse or a mule. Don't be dumb. Don't be stubborn about your sin. Without understanding, this is that idea of stupidity or thoughtlessness, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it's not going to stay near you, right? You ever deal with horses or mules, right? If you don't have the bit and the bridle, they don't go where you want them to go. They don't get control. They just go their own way, whatever they want to do. We need to stay near to God. Because when we allow our own ego to get in the way, our own desires, EGO, edging God out, we are edging God out of our life one decision at a time. One choice. One choice. And these little itty-bitty choices are not that big of a deal at the time, right? It just seems like small things. But before you know it, a day, a week, a month, a year goes by, a decade, whatever you want to say, and I can go way over here. And I'm absolutely tempted to go out this door, but that'd be a little weird, all right? And I'm like, hey, God, where are you at? What's God saying? I haven't moved, Chris. I'm still where I was. You keep moving away from me. But God says, I, I want you to come back. I'm here with open arms. That's why my hand is heavy upon you. I want you back. Why? Because verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked. God doesn't want that for you. Rather, the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in God, surrounds the one who stays near, near to God. Man, parents, when you go to places and it's unfamiliar, what do your kids do? They suck right onto the side of your leg. They want to stay near to you because that's their safe place. When they're further and further away, and I saw this at camp, Kenzie started wandering off, and then all these people started coming, and then she freaked I mean, she was only like where the piano is, but there was about 385,000 kids in between me and her, right? And that, she flipped. 
But when she got nearer to daddy, her safe place, she calmed. Folks, we need to stay near to God. You, you want to manage that guilt in your life? Keep the short accounts. Stay near to God. And then his final instruction or the product of, of nearness to God or forgiveness, forgiveness from God is in verse 11. That we can be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is how we should leave. Recognizing that we are commanded to be glad, to rejoice. And then underline, circle the O righteous. This is talking about followers of Jesus Christ. You are righteous when God the Father looks down on, on, on us who have accepted the free gift of salvation. He doesn't see Chris Howard. He doesn't see all of my filthy, nasty, rotten junk and sin. He looks down at Chris Howard and he sees the righteousness of God. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Believer here today, that's what he sees when he looks at you. In the midst of your filth, your rottenness, your sin. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love for us that while we were sinners, while we're still living a sinful life, he didn't wait for us to get cleaned up first and then welcome us in. He cleaned us up first and then said, come on in. I didn't hear an amen. amen. So how, how do we do this? This text is written to, to the believer, but uh, if you're here with us today and maybe you've not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not without hope right now. How can you be seen in the Father's eyes as righteous? Ephesians 2 tells us, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself, it's a free gift of God. John 14, 6 tells us that Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The only way in which we can come to the Father is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The only way. So back to our ABCs. Do you acknowledge, do you recognize your state as a sinful person? Do you believe that God is the only one that can satisfy that through the death and burial and resurrection of his one and only son? Romans uh, 10 tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And thirdly, that, that confession Will you confess with your mouth today? God, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I recognize you're the only one that can, can do that. Do that for me today, now. Send your Holy Spirit to reside within me so that I can have this ability through the Holy Spirit to manage my guilt, to manage my fear, to manage my depression, my discontentment, my insignificance, and all my grief. It is only through the person of Jesus Christ that we can manage any of our emotions. Amen? Where are you today? What difficulties in life are you facing? Are you hiding from them? What's keeping you from running to God today? Would you pray with me? Our Father God, we thank you so much for your love, your mercy, 
your kindness. Because without it, we have no hope. Without your love, without your mercy, you would not have sent Jesus Christ to come down, live a perfect life, to die a perfect death, to satisfy your righteous wrath. To provide us with the ability, the opportunity to be restored, reconciled to you. God, I pray for the believer here this morning because I know that I struggle quantifying my sin, trying to cover up or hide various sins. And then I find myself under a great stress, a great weight of guilt. Help me, help us believers to recognize who you are the God who loves us, that wants to preserve us, to deliver us, to restore us. Help us to keep short accounts and run to you in confession each and every time. For the unbeliever here, God, I pray that you would work on their heart, open their eyes to the sin that they are living with to recognize that you are the only one who can satisfy that guilt that they are feeling that discontentment that plagues them that depression that continues to greet them every morning God that you alone through your son offer forgiveness where your scripture tells us that if we just call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And yes, it is that simple. God, I pray for the hearts of us in this room and the hearts that may be listening elsewhere. Would you empower us to live the life that you would have for us to live, to confess our sins each and every moment, each and every day, so that we can live truly blessed, happy, and joyous lives. It is in your precious and holy name we pray these things. Amen. Our God.